I, I was thinking during worship and the kind of linking into to what, we, what we talked about last week, that Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. And sin had left a crimson stain, and he washed it white as snow. Last week, we talked about the grace that comes from God to, to accentuate the truth that no human being can work himself or herself to earn the righteousness of God, the rightness with God. No human being can find themselves so obedient, so perfect, that they now have right standing with God. For that reason, God fully understood that, and he came to us. This grace, as Rob pointed out last week, is from God. It is nothing that we earn. So when I think about the words that we've just sung, and we say, man, that grace, it, it relieved me of all the past. It paid the debt of the sin that I could not pay for myself. It helped me get beyond the history of my failures, of my sin, of my mistakes, those closet things that no one knows about, those open things that everyone knows about, and all things that God knows about, all those are taken care of. If you if came in the room today and to this building today and you're searching for God, then it may look odd for us that we're so happy about this. But when you do experience that, when you have that, that moment where you've tried and you know you've tried and you just, you, you're out of trying, your muscle is worn out, and someone tells you or you hear from the Scripture that Christ paid it all, that you don't have to work any longer, and that's all taken care of, it is a relief at the soul level that you can't hardly describe at the vocal level. So that when we try to express it, we express it in song, and, we, and it's exciting for us. And we're glad that you're here if you're looking for God and haven't quite made that, that decision to cross that threshold of faith, meaning that you reach out and belief, no longer belief in yourself, but belief in Christ and all that he did on the cross and that all your sins were literally dumped on him as a substitute so that you wouldn't have to pay that price. This is our prayer for you if you've come today. For those of us that have already made that, that decision, which represents the majority of us sitting in this room, I want to say to you that if it were only that, if it were only that, we would not also have the deep joy that we have. Let me explain. For those that without Christ, there has to be, when the, pillow, when the head hits the pillow at night, a certain level of wondering. Did I get it good enough? If I'm going to rely on my goodness in order to earn rightness with God, how good is good enough? As, as one preacher wrote a book about, how good is it? Does it take a B minus? Because, see, we, we go to a school, our kids go to a school that if they don't keep, maintain a certain GPA, even in elementary school, we get the letter from the school. And they say, now, our school requires that you have a certain GPA, and your son dipped a little below that, so you're going to have to get it. We're always under this stress of coming into a quarter and making sure our GPA is okay. If you're without Christ then you will wonder all your life, is my GPA okay? Does God accept the C minus? Because sometimes, quite frankly, I feel like an F minus. How about you? There's sometimes I'm feeling pretty good. Hey, I had a pretty good day. Didn't chew anybody out on the highway. You know, it didn't run over anybody's cat. Didn't think any bad thoughts. Kept the, and you know, the internet clean. Woo, I'm gonna go with a B plus today. Is a B plus good enough? Because, see, God is an A+. Plus. He's perfect. He, he scores 100 every time. Make you nervous? It should. Because when you live in the sense of wondering, it's absolutely crummy. As believers, we also can reach that crummy level. If we only talk about God forgiving our past, what about tomorrow? Was it only that he forgave the past? And 
Okay, so if I blow it tomorrow, I know I can go to him and confess, but let's say I get hit by a truck before I have that confession. Is it okay? In other words, do I have to make sure that my standing will still be there if I blow it tomorrow? Well, see, the good news is not only that God forgives us of our past, but the great news, the news that became as, as elevating to me and celebrating to me is that once Christ comes into our life and we're born again, we have a standing with God. And that standing is sure and secure, and nothing can move that standing in Christ. Otherwise, we would be, hold that applause just one second. We'll, we'll jump on it. Yeah, that's awesome. Otherwise, as Christians, we will be in the crumminess of wondering if we confessed it okay or not. Now we can celebrate it's sure. Let me allow the Word of God to prove the point. When we come to Christ, many things happen. We could spend the entire day of the layers of things that happen. When the grace of God comes to us, as we saw last week, from God, we are not earning our way to God. Here's what happens when we come to Christ. One of the things, Romans chapter 3, verse 20, if you're following along in your Bible, Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 is an incredibly critical verse, I believe, especially for Christians. See, there are some Bible verses that, that are especially critical for unbelievers, for those who are seeking God. For God so loved the world, he so loved you, that he gave his one and only begotten son that if you, whosoever, believes on him, you shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you're searching for God, man, I'd hold on to that like a life preserver. Now, for believers, as the deeper we go and the more we appreciate and, and deepen our understanding of what happened when we became a Christian, the security of our standing becomes even more rich. Watch this, Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, no one, not one single person, not the Pope, not Mother Teresa, not Billy Graham, and certainly not Steve McCoy, there, therefore, no one will be declared right with God, righteous in his sight, in God's sight, by observing the rules and regulations, by being good enough. There it is, plain and simple. No one will earn a rightness with God by doing what is enough good, the good outweighing the, the, the bad. This is really important, by the way, because when you talk to the person in the next cubicle, this is the prevailing argument about, the, uh, about faith these days and religion, spirituality, I should say. I'm good enough. I'm not a bad person. I'm not Saddam Hussein. I'm not Hitler. I'm not in that, that, it's the prevailing conversation you should, should, that you'll have. And the Scripture says, oh, let me, let me tell you the reality of that. You might have believed that own religion in your mind, but the reality is that no one, not one single human being, no matter how good, will be declared righteous in his sight by observing all the rules, the law. Rather, it was the law that through the law we became conscious of sin. I didn't know I was speeding until I saw a, speeding, a speed limit sign. I was just blazing through at 45. Then I saw the sign, like the law. I'm like, ah, now I know. So the law, did. the purpose of the law was like, make sure you understand that you, you don't get an, an A+. Plus. And because you get, don't get an A+, plus, we're in a predicament because that's not getting you to God. Now, verse 21. But now, I love the small words of the Bible. That hinge right there makes the difference in all of humanity. It stands head and shoulders above any other world religion on this globe. Those two words, but now. You see, every other religion is trying to obey the rules in order to be right with God. But now, a righteousness apart from all the rules, apart from earning, has been known 
to which the law and the prophets have testified. In other words, we've been hearing about it for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years that there's a, there's a new way to get to God that's coming. 22, this righteousness, here it is, from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There it is, God's part. He's going to give us righteousness, our part, through faith in Christ. And that combination from God through faith is the thing that makes the difference in Christianity than all of the faiths of the world. This righteousness from, from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. Justified, I'm like, hey, what does that mean? Sorry for the cliche, but it's worked so wonderfully. Justified means just if I'd never sinned. That's what it means. Just if I'd never sinned. So I justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ. All right, let me throw a fancy theological word at you. This is where you got to think a little bit. This is called imputed righteousness imputed righteousness. Oh, here's what that means, and here's the great news. To impute something means I assign it to you. I give you credit. This is something I have, and I'm imputing it to you. This is a righteousness that when we come to Christ, God says, now in my sight, I have taken off these lenses, and I'm putting on new lenses, and every time God, through these lenses, looks at Steve McCoy because I've had faith through Christ, accepted the grace from God every single time until I take my dying breath. God looks at me through righteous lenses, and I'm perfect in God's sight. That's amazing. What if I blow it tomorrow? God didn't change his glasses. That's great news. Because if God's up there changing his glasses like Elton John, we got a problem. Therefore, I can enjoy God. I can enjoy God. Don't you think as a parent you want your child to enjoy you? Do you think for a second my son would have any kind of life if he's wondering every day of his life whether dad still loves him, whether he's even going to be my son? What kind of life is that? I'll tell you what kind of life it is. It's crummy. And God did not create us to have this crummy existence. Watch, he says it again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I've been in this for over three decades, and I'm still amazed by that. Why? Because I have a mirror. I look at myself. I know myself that I might become the righteousness of God. Philippians chapter 3, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Here it is, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. God says it over and over and over. I have credited you. I have credited you. I have credited you with righteousness, which took care of the past. The grace took care of the past, and the imputed righteousness takes care of the future. I love that. Now, you guys, get out of here. I'll see you next time. It's enough. But now we have to ask ourselves, okay, now what do we do with that? What do we do with that? It's just not some theological euphoria that just like, oh, that's just wonderful. Because God always asks us to do something with what he gives to us. That lands us at our focus today. Not only have we experienced imputed righteousness, assigned righteousness, but today we're going to look at how we are now supposed to practice righteousness. Now, if I didn't say what I've said up to this, these, these, the last, uh, you know, 10 minutes or so, and we began with let's practice righteousness, 
you might fall into the trap of thinking, oh, we need to practice righteousness in order to earn our way to God. That's why the previous, converse, the, the previous part is very, very important. You have to s- solidify in your mind, we are already in as Christians, and we are already righteous in God's sight. So nobody's trying to earn anything to God. We have now got this righteousness from God, and now we're going to practice righteousness, not to earn our way, but for something deeper. Watch this. First John chapter 2 and verse 29. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. John talks a lot about practicing in his letter. Uh, oddly enough, if you, if you were to look at it through those lenses, they kind of stand out to you. Watch this. 1 John 2, 29. John says, for you know that God is righteous. And you know then that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Notice John didn't say everyone that's going to practice righteousness in order to be born of him. No, we are already born a second birth. And because of that and because we're righteous, what happens is we begin to practice righteousness. We begin to practice those things in our life that are right because now we have a different relationship with God and a different motive to practice righteousness. John says again, the chapter over, 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, not to become righteous. I already am righteous in God. I may not look like it to you, but that's because you're not wearing God's lenses. I am righteous, so I practice righteous, uh, being righteous just as he is righteous. Woo, it's a lot of righteous. Now watch, here's the key. When I become a Christian and God has forgiven my past, I'm secure in the future because of the lenses through which he looks. He looks through the lenses that we could say are rose-colored. They're they're colored with the blood of Christ. He looks at me as righteous. And so now what I begin to do is, God, I want to begin to practice, are you ready, who I already am. I am no longer practicing in the world. That doesn't make sense. I'm different now. God has seen me different now. I'm going to practice who I am, not who I was. Colossians says it this way. Paul says it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Do not lie to each other. And there's a whole other list of things that we would say, boy, that, those, things are not, those things are not great. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices. See, I used to practice Mozart. Now I'm practicing Beethoven. Used to do rock and roll. Now I'm doing jazz, whatever music. I used to do bluegrass. I'm still doing bluegrass. <laughs> I'm sorry. Whatever that was, I used to practice this way, but now I'm not doing it to earn my way to God. I'm excited that I'm righteous in God's eyes, and therefore I'm going to start living like that. I'm going to start doing the right things. And here's the reason why. Very, very critical that we understand this difference. Whenever I have this conversation, we've had this conversation together on a Sunday morning before, you'll hear me repeat it over and over and over because as a communicator, any communicator will know that sometimes it can get translated between here and your here. So I want to make sure we, that we understand that we can never earn our way to God. Are we all in agreement for that? But what happens once we become righteous in God's sight, there's a rhythm. There's a rhythm that God is looking for. Let me put it to you like this. Let's say someone gives to me a lifetime, guaranteed, irrevocable membership to the gym. Because right now I pay $21.99 to, to be a member of the gym. And I painstakingly pay it every month. And Mr. Cheapskate makes sure I don't miss a day because I would be losing a dollar or whatever it is, probably 75 cents. Let's say somebody comes up to me and like, hey, I'm giving you a free membership. How long does it last? Rest of your life. You know what? I am excited about that. But that membership at the gym means nothing until I go and use it. 
until I began to say, hey, I'm going to enjoy this, this new membership. You see, when we come to Christ, it's not just about, whoo, made it. Ah, not going to you know where. Going to heaven. It's now we begin to enjoy the membership with God because our membership is a guaranteed, lifetime, irrevocable membership. And we're not just put on this earth to say, I'm glad I made it. I'm not going to hell, but I'm going to heaven. I'm, boy, that's, just, that's all I really wanted. See, you're created intrinsically to enjoy the rhythm with God. This is where practicing righteousness comes into play. Watch this. Here's the key verse. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say we have, here's the word, fellowship with him. Let me substitute a few more contemporary words. Jazz. I have to fit it in somewhere. Listen, don't get caught up and in in, in make your Bible moldy. It's alive. What are you saying? If we got rhythm, if we want to have, if we got rhythm with God, you know what that means, right? I don't have to explain that to most of you. Like this, man. I, f- I feel like God and I are in the saddle. I feel like we're 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 in the same band, playing the same tempo, the same rhythm. It's not like, oh God, I'm sorry, I haven't talked to you. And you're like, oh God, I'm sorry, I haven't really. Yesterday was Boys' Day for me. It's so. This age is, most of the time, so fun. <laughs> Let's go and do something. We played cards. We went shopping. We, you know. Don't you think God wants that? Don't you think, you think I, as a dad, just want my, my sons to be like, clean my room, father. Make sure I'm on time. Ate my breakfast. Go on. Fine, son. Get out, you know. And crazy enough, we have this image with God at times. No, God wants to play cards with you. God wants to go shopping. God wants to talk to you. God wants to have this enjoyable jazz, this relationship. This is what fellowship is. It's not some stodgy, stale prayer. Watch this. So may I substitute the word? Uh, If we say that we have jazz with him, if we have a rhythm with him, we have fellowship with him, but we're walking in the darkness, we lie, and we don't practice what we are, the truth, the righteousness. There's something off there. John says the reason we practice, make sure we don't miss it, is not to earn our salvation and standing. That's a done deal. I'll say it one more time. The reason that we practice righteousness, the first reason is for the fellowship, that we'll be out of sorts with God if we just continue to do what we want to do. That's why John himself in the same letter says, hey, confess your sins. Why should I confess them? It's already dealt with on the cross. Confess them to get them out and get it going and get it over with so the old jazz keeps going. So that we have this communion, this, uh, this, uh, this synergy with God. Here's a great picture. You know, the Old Testament is just a picture book. It's a marvelous picture book. There's so many unbelievable pictures of what was going to happen in the future, which happened in there. So let's take, let's take the land of Israel, for, for example. You'll notice when, they were, when the people of God were in rhythm with God, all was well in the land. All was well. You'll see kings throughout the history listed in the Bible. You'll see kings who walked with God and say, and there was 40 years of peace in the land. The land is important. That land, that piece of real estate is important. Why do you think it's under such unrest right now? Because the, 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 the Jewish people have not settled with God. And until they do, and until Christ comes back, you can forget peace in the Middle East. That's not going to happen. Should we honor it? Absolutely. Should we support Israel? Absolutely. Don't get, don't get me wrong. 
But I'm just saying that when you track the history of God and his people, that little strip of real estate is very, very key. And it pictured for us when there was peace, they were solidly in. It was their land. There was, it, everything was going great. And the moment they stopped, then everything went kaflui in that land. It was a picture that when God said, man, I'm telling you, I want this rhythm, and if we don't have it, if you're not practicing right things, we're going to be out of sorts. To the point, as you remember in history, where God had to pluck his people out of the land and place them in foreign territory. Now, let me ask you a question. When God's people were exiled to Assyria and Babylon, were they still God's people? Did they lose their standing? Were they unchilded? Were they, were they no longer his? Of course not. They were just at a different place. When my son misbehaves, and, he, and let's say he just keeps, as he grows older, does something terrible and just does, you know, just, and some of you have experienced that as parents, and it's got to be hard, but my son will always be my son. He, I cannot, I, physically, I cannot unson him. I cannot unchild him. So God is saying, look, this is the way it is. I, I was listening to Tony Evans this week. He says this, the land in the Old Testament was the thermometer in the Old Testament of the degree of the people's compliance with God. What was true for the land in the Old Testament is true of the life in the New Testament. Don't ever doubt your standing as a believer because you're doubting God. Your standing, if you are a Christian, is sure. It is secure. It is ironclad. It is bronzed. It is embedded. It is etched. It is forever. This has nothing to do with your standing. It's everything, as John said, about your fellowship. Big difference. Big difference. You see, when the people were called by God in the Old Testament. It wasn't only that he wanted this jazz and fellowship, but he had a purpose for them. He wanted them to be in that land. He wanted, God wanted himself to be glorified through all the earth by those people. And this is, so the first reason is jazz, but the second reason is this, that we have a purpose on earth. And when we're out of sorts with God, we tend to be thinking about all those things that we're out of sorts with, and now we're not in gear with God. And when we're in gear with God, then we're able to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish on earth. We are on this earth to have fellowship with God, and we're on this earth to accomplish what he wants to us to accomplish. So it's not just about, man, I am in, I'm in fellowship with God, but God would say, awesome, now let's get the job done. Let's get the job done. You see, if we, if we say, now I, I'm out of sorts with God, I'm most likely not going to accomplish what he put me here on earth to do. Watch this, Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Romans 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature, that means those things that our flesh wants to do, have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance in rhythm with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. God, what do you want to accomplish? What do you want me to say? When do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go? I'll be honest with you. I'll leave tomorrow, 4.30, to go to the DR. He said, man, you must be excited. I hate traveling. I'm excited for the mission. I'm excited for what God did, but I am not a good traveler. I'm a, I am a, uh, a, a weenie, grouchy uh, little traveler. <laughs> you know, some people are not. Some people are like, man, I can't wait to go. Where are you going? I don't know. I'm just going. They just love their, you know, explorers. I'm not. I go for one reason, obedience. What the Spirit desires. If I had my desire, I'd just do everything by Skype. I'm, I'm, I'm good with Skype. But Skype doesn't cut it sometimes. And the, if the Spirit says, you get on that plane, 
and I'll deal with your weeniness and your grouchiness, and we'll, we'll be all right. Those who live in rhythm with the Spirit have their minds on what God wants, the Spirit desires. You see, the mind of sinful man is separation, death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life, it's peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to what God wants, God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. And Paul is writing to Christians. Paul is writing here, he said, man, I'm telling you, this is, this is, this is why we look at guys like David and he said, this is a man after my own heart. He's in rhythm, not only because he loved God and worshiped God, but watch this, Acts chapter 13, verse 32. God testified concerning David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Why? Because he will do everything I want him to do. He'll get on the boat. He'll get on the plane. He'll get on the other turf. He'll do whatever I'm asking him to do. Why? Because we're in rhythm. We're in jazz because he's practicing who he is makes sense. And we look at David and we say, man, this guy really had it together. And then we can't avoid the Bathsheba chapter. And you think, man, what happened there? Here's a guy that was practicing righteousness, but somehow had that chapter i got a few chapters in my life. How about you? Christians love to say, oh, that was before I was a Christian. That's, that was, that's the easy part, right? I mean, we can be mass murders before we could come, come to Christ, and it's like, wow, that guy really got changed, and it becomes this epic story. How about those chapters in our, in our life that, like, dude, that, that happened after Christ? i got a few. How about you? You think, what happened? I look back on those, those parts of my life as I do David with Bathsheba. And it comes down to, 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 to this. He got out of practice. He got out of practice. It's that simple. I remind you that the reason that we're talking about and having this conversation, talking about this focus, is that practice is consistency. This is what musicians do. It's not an exciting life. Behind the stage, we're doing this. So that you can walk on the stage in the performance and go. <laughs> and the minute we stop going, oh, I'm tired today. It's the moment when we walk on the stage, it goes. You see, David had this chapter in his life or we don't know the details, but we do know he must have been out of practice. But, but someone honest enough was willing to come to him, Nathan. And then we see David's character rebound. Because when Nathan came to him, what David did not do was like, well, I'll tell you what it was. Bathsheba shouldn't have been out there. You know, what should you do in public bathing anyway? And Nathan, how come you took so long to come and tell me? That's not right. I, you know, I got these guys around me, Joab. They knew, they knew the plan. They knew what I was going to do and murder their heart. They should have stopped it. They should have written, written me a letter. They should have written me up. Shouldn't give me a pink slip. They should have done something. You know, it's so easy to say, well, I'll tell you why. But David said, it's me. We sang it earlier. I alone have sinned against God. That's the, that is the moment where we start to rebound, and it shows David's character. He wanted to be in rhythm with God, and when we sang the song earlier, Psalm 51, David says, please, God, restore unto me not my salvation, but the joy of my salvation. May I substitute it again? Restore unto me the... You're catching on. The jazz of my salvation. David didn't say, oh, please give me my salvation back. He says, I've lost the jazz. And now I've lost my purpose. And life without godly jazz and godly purpose is just flat. And he, God did not 
make us to just exist. Maybe your life is flat right now. Check your godly jazzometer and your godly purposeometer. Because the people I know that are like, oh man, I'm just uh, got this thing going and I'm doing things for God. Man, that just, it's better than any high that you'll ever get. It's better than any sport you'll ever play. It's better than any music you'll ever listen to. It's better than any movie you'll ever see. It's better than any cliff you'll high dive off of, any plane you'll parachute out of, anything, any euphoric thing. When you're living in a rhythm where you feel like I'm in tune with God and I'm doing something, I'm accomplishing His will, there is no other high for a human being. How's your jazzometer? How's your jazzometer? See, we talked about what we're supposed to do. We've talked about why it's important to have this jazz and this purpose for God. Let me end today by talking about the practical end, which I think is always important. Because we never want to walk out the door with just this conceptual thing like, man, that's really awesome, but I'm just not sure what to do with that. Let's talk about the how as we close today. Just a few tips. How do I practice right things? How do I practice righteousness? Let me give you one word that I think is so important. In that moment of temptation, maybe some people see it, maybe no one sees it. Maybe it's that temptation to say something that's self-elevating in a conversation. Maybe it's that that, that point in the conversation where, you know, I could say this, it's not exactly true, but it does make me look a little better. Or it's not exactly true, but if I give the 100% truth, I could get a little trouble here, you know, at, at work. So I'm not going to quite give it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, massage it a little bit. It may be that fleeting moment to see how close we can come at looking at immoral things on the computer, you know, when nobody's looking. It's that intersection. We know it, right, everybody? Someone just say Yes. Here's a word that may help more, more. What do I mean? Peter came to, Jesus came to Peter and said, will you love me more? Will you love me more? There have been many times in that intersection to say, God, I want to love you more right now. I might feel weak. I might feel unable. But God, I have a choice. It's only A and B. B is less, A is more. If I choose B, God, if I choose that sight, if I choose those words, so if I choose that thought, then you become less. But God, in this moment, I want a voice to you. I want to, I want to love you more. It's a choice. Here's the second thing I throw out to you. Small things add up. I'm telling you, as a, as a former concert pianist, many of you know that, but the practice life is excruciatingly difficult and tedious. You see the performer on the stage, oh, man, it looks glorious. That's why I appreciate these guys. It represents up here in the worship team. It represents hours and hours of practice alone. And truly, trust me when I say the the best, over and over the small things. No concert pianist worth his or her weight will ever go, because nobody can do that. You have to practice the small things. It's, it's typically the small things that add up. In other words, if you have the opportunity to tell that little white lie, that's the moment you say, you know what, I don't want to even begin to put my trajectory in that direction. I don't want that. So try to catch it at the small things. And if you blow it at the small things, hey, welcome to the club. Confess it and move on. Just keep it small. Keep the account small. Don't let it add up because here's what happens to us as human beings, does it not? Man, I, 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 this happens to me on my diet. Well, I had one bite of pizza. I might as well eat the whole dang thing. 
You know what I mean? You, everybody, all right? I'll blow it. Might as well eat it. <laughs> this is human nature, right? I moved it an inch. Well, what the heck? Let's shove it a football field, right? Sometimes these things, they seem so innocent at the time. Okay, so here, I'm going to do confession Sunday. I'll start. <laughs> For years, I worked concessions at a professional uh, baseball and football stadiums to earn money for missions for a team. We had a team. Well, the first night, we didn't know what we were doing. And so, you're, you know, you're pouring drinks and, and, and uh, you know, putting, putting hot dogs together, and you're, you know, behind the stand, you know, you're selling and everything. And then we'd get a cut, of the, a cut of the pay, and then we'd put it toward missions, right? So the story starts as, like, really holy. I mean, it's, like, super churchy, all right? Hey, we were raising money for missions, right? You can tell it's not going to be so good at the end. So the, what we didn't know the first night is that, you know, when you, when at the end of the night, man, you're tired. I mean, you've been in there, you're walking on the floor, and it's just got, you know, beer and soda pop, and, you know, your shoe almost comes off because it's stuck to the floor. And so we didn't know what we were doing. We were pouring drinks, and like, well, that was no good. You know, throw the cup away. And whoop, got too much nacho cheese, and now let's throw the cup away, start over. So we had this, we had this, uh, this manager that I, I, I think she doubled as, you know, manager for concessions and linebacker. Um, and so somewhere around 1130 after we cleaned up, you know, you're in a stadium. You can't wait to go home because you've been there since about three or four in the afternoon. She says, okay, let's do the count. Like, okay, let's do the count. What's the count? We're going to go count every cup and every nacho cup and everything that was used and compare it to the count that we didn't know she made before we started to make sure we weren't ripping them off. Or like morons throwing stuff in the trash. Okay, let me just say we owed her money on the first night. <laughs> didn't go real well. I'm not kidding. Two o'clock in the morning. All right, let's count them again. I'm like, I'm gonna kill this lady. I'm going to take her in the walk-in freezer. I'm going to lock it. That's not the end of the story. I promise. All right. So we caught on, okay? Don't throw away anything. So one day, my friend and I, Dave, we were going to into the walk-in uh, freezer to get the kielbasas and cook them. So we're walking out with this big box, and we're on the way to the grill, and the bottom of the box fell out. Frozen kielbasas like Lincoln Logs on a really sticky floor. Well, it was A and B time. See, we were there to raise money for missions. We didn't care. We weren't going down. So, we had a plan. Put them back in the box before anybody sees. So we're like... And then we had an assembly line over the sink, washing off kielbasas. It's the last time I've ever eaten in a stadium. I'm not kidding you. I do not eat in a stadium because morons like me are volunteering to raise money for missions. Hey, you know, it's often stuff like that, isn't it? Just take a bite of the apple, Eve, or the fruit, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> just a bite. Looks good, doesn't it? Just a little bite. Come on, Dave, it's just a glance. I mean, you would admit she's pretty beautiful, wouldn't you? It's just a glance. It's the teeny things that often lead to bigger things. Finally, here's some good news. Your salvation, you can't do it on your own. Your past, you can't erase it on your own. Your future, you cannot make it secure. It's imputed. And in the moment where we say, God, I want you more, and I want A over B in the little things and the big things, but even in the little things, you also can't do it. You also can't do it. 
don't walk out of this room and say, I need to try harder. Walk out of this room saying, I need him more. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. That's all confess. But God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are, are tempted, he, there it is, he will provide a way out. He will provide a power to get you out. All you have to say, God, I want to love you more. And I want A instead of B. God, would you empower me? It's not a matter of trying harder. It's a matter, a matter of leaning deeper in the little things. What I do know that it happened on that night where David looked at Bathsheba was that he didn't call on God. God, help me out of this. I'll guarantee you that. And in my worst moments, I have left God out of the decision. And it always turns out bad. Romans 8, 12, therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. It's not to the sinful nature to live according to that, but an obligation to the, to the spiritual nature. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But here it is. But if by the Spirit, by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. When you're in that moment, call on God. Why? So that we can have this jazz and do great things. Thursday night, I went to the symphony. There's one piece that is written. It's a, the Rachmaninoff Third Piano Concerto. As my absolute favorite classical piece has been for decades, I have listened to it no less than 3,000 times. I know it like the back of my hand. I know the score. I have studied it. I, and so whenever it's played, and it's rarely played, I will pay the extra bucks to have a good seat. So Thursday night, I was sitting on row two watching this guy from, from Russia who has won the most major international competitions, and I just was enthralled by him. And I think I had a deeper appreciation than most in that room of what it took to get in that chair right there. And trust me, when he had other choices to go out and, and do other things, he said, no, I'm going I'm to practice. When he was tempted to play the bigger sweeping passages, no, 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 I'm going to do the little things. And because he was willing to practice like that, he was able to do something great. Sometimes you know how our kids teach us? I have a 12-year-old at home. He lives to serve in the kids', in the kids uh, church. He lives to serve in there. Monday through Friday, it's Crankville, getting him out or using the crank to get him out of, of bed to go to school. Anybody ever experienced that? It's Crankville, man. Saturday mornings, he'll wake up 8, 8.30. Why? Cartoons. <laughs> but on Sunday morning, with his own little alarm clock, 6.45. I was out for an early run this morning. I got back to the house, and he said, Dad, where were you? I waked up at 6.45. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, he's standing at the door. Hey, Dad, come on. Let's go. My 12-year-old. Why? I'll tell you why. He's got the jazz, and he's got the purpose. And I look at that little boy, and I think, oh, to God, I would not lose that in my own life. Practice who you are. Let's pray. Father, words literally escape us, God. 
to express our appreciation. Not only that Jesus paid it all, not only that our sins were, were like crimson and now they're white as snow, our past, God, but our future is secure. Our standing is irrevocable. And so I pray, God, today very simply that you would help us to experience the jazz of that, God, the, the rhythm with you, to be in sorts and not out of sorts, to be in, in sync, God, and not out of sync by practicing and confessing and just keeping this life vibrant. And then, God, when we practice these small passages, they get to bigger passages, and then we get to play Rachmaninoff for you, God. We get to play bigger. And then all of a sudden, life makes sense. We pray, God, for those sitting in the room who have never experienced the absolute soul relief of knowing that their past, their brokenness, their failures, their mistakes, their sin is absolutely washed away. And their future will be solidly secure. If you're sitting in the room today, you think, my future is not secure with God. I wonder. I'm one of those that wonder. I would, I would say to you right now, hey, say to God, yes, God. Yes, God. I want you rather than myself. I want to trust in you, God, rather than myself. I see clearly in, the, in your word that no one will earn their way to you. So, God, I give up. And I abandon my effort and completely throw myself and dependence on Christ and what he did on the cross so that my sins too can be forgiven and my future secure. Maybe that's you. And you would say today, I want Christ. God, I want Christ. Hear my heart. I want Christ. And if you're a believer, maybe you say, man, I, I'm out of sorts. But thank God my standing is secure. And God... I want to confess to you. I want to be back in rhythm. So here's my life. Take it. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the assurance of your word, for the challenge of your word. And we love you. We love you and we need you in those moments of A and B. God, you have promised to provide a way out if we just call on you. And we thank you for these things, for the name of Christ and for his work on this planet. Amen.